Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Welcome to the 42 cast, the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. Uh, This is our seventh episode, which is kind of a big milestone, because one of the things that I've heard from people repeatedly is that you have to have seven episodes to really be taken seriously as a podcast, so kind of an anniversary for us, maybe our first anniversary, so uh, I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back here (laughs) for getting them out, and I also want to thank everyone who's uh, hung with us for these seven episodes, and hopefully uh, you'll be with us as we continue to go on and on and, you know, continue to have fun conversations here. So lately I've been watching some Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, It's a hilarious show if you've never checked it out before. It's basically uh, a guy being subjected to the worst movies of all time and he copes with it by making fun of them there's a new series coming to netflix on april 14th which is why i bring it up definitely want to see some people uh give that some support don't know if it'll be anywhere near as good as uh the show was originally but the show lasted for 10 seasons before so maybe we can get 10 more seasons on netflix and hopefully it'll be a real success so just thought i'd put a plug in there uh for that but uh, now we've got another I hesitate to say classic, even though we recorded this one back in June of 2016. But we've got another recording that we did months ago uh, as we catch up here um, that we're going to move into. And I've got a few more things to talk about at the outro for a fun little contest that we're running uh, and uh, just some questions that I have overall. But until then, I'm going to leave things with the podcast already in progress where i'm introducing someone that i have known for well over a decade Uh, she's a cosplayer extraordinaire and that is stephanie how are you doing stephanie hello i'm doing well how about you doing all right so stephanie why don't you tell everyone just a little bit about yourself well i am stephanie i go by (laughs) elcrea most places online so if that name rings a bit more of a bell there's where you know me from um i've been doing cosplay off and on for about gosh a long time over a decade <laughs> i think we met what back in 05 yeah it was a, a otakon 05 okay so yeah it's been a while my first convention i went to in 2001 i have often gone to i am babbling here so you edit more than just yourself <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe not <laughs> 
Um, I totally lost my train of thought while I was talking there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What fandoms are you interested in, Stephanie? I am heavily into Sailor Moon, of course. I am currently sitting in a room that is just plastered wall to ceiling with posters and toys and figures from Sailor Moon. I might be a wee bit obsessed, just a little. But I'm also really into sci-fi, namely Star Trek and Babylon 5. Those are some of my favorite sci-fi franchises. Um, and I also do, of course, love comic book movies a little bit more than the comic books themselves, but definitely do fall into the comic holes every once in a while. But I can never go wrong with the movies. Plus, it's Man of Steel, but... <laughs> That's a whole other podcast! It's a whole other podcast! Yeah. <laughs> you don't mention that one around these parts. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to hear like-minded thoughts on that, though. But there we go. That's a little bit about me. That should be sufficient, I hope. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's that's fine, and I am very glad uh, that there is somebody else who likes Babylon Five because let me tell you, yeah. finding finding people to talk about Babylon Five with then <laughs> form a podcast has been a little bit consternating for me. <laughs> I'm sure you and I could just go back and forth, and we'd fill a whole thing, no problem. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I bet we could. Where, where are you at on your rewatch? I'm almost finally done with Byron. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good measuring stick for season five. It's like <laughs> I think I've got two episodes left until he's gone. Yeah. So a little bit before midway. <laughs> there's Byron and then there's post Byron. It gets much better. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, nobody else knows what we're talking about. That's right. <laughs> that's okay. I now know how certain members of my family feel when I talk about things they don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Byron goes away? What? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've watched that For a moment, I was concerned. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Well, that, that deep voice that you just heard is another friend of mine that uh, I've met through podcasting, actually. He's a man that knows way too much about what Apple's developing right now, and that is my friend, Mr. Will. How are you doing, Will? Good evening, sir. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Excellent. Since you're, this is your first episode also, why don't you say a little bit about yourself as well? Right on. Of course, we'll live in East Tennessee around the Knoxville area. Work at Target. Been there for about a little over 14 years. Some days it's been the, both the longest and the shortest 14 years of my life. Um, <laughs> Big geek about a lot of different things. Geeky about uh, like uh, big Star Wars fan, comic book fan, more Marvel than DC. Big into X Men and Marvel Cinematic Universe has been like the greatest geeky thing in the past, you know, fifteen oh, yes. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, you know, technology movie geek as well. Just movies in general, love, love, love. Pro wrestling. I could talk wrestling all day long, and proud of it. You know, Ric Flair for life. But yeah, a lot of different interests, a lot of different geeky interests, and uh, enjoy talking to people about common geeky stuff, and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, and we're happy to have you, Will. Now, I'm just curious, because you talked about pro wrestling. I've, I've heard wrestling described as soap opera for men. Would you agree it with is, that statement? It is It is absolutely soap opera for men. I mean, you don't, you, you don't want to apply any kind of like logic to it at all you know mm. you know because because if you if you think of it in like real world sense you know there's there'd be lawsuits left and right you know like 
because, know, because there, there are people are basically assaulting each other every single week, and there's no like, there's no arrest being made. There's no, uh, you know, jail time. You know, and if, you know, like from from what I'm used to, people want to fight. They don't schedule the fight. You know, three weeks from now, where you have to pay fifty bucks to watch them fight. You know, mm-hmm. they they'll they'll go out back and take care of business. You know, so right. don't worry about any kind of like making sense of it at all. Just go and check your brain at the door and just have a good time. Okay. Yeah, that's all. Well, that's that's a good philosophy for a lot of things, I think. Exactly. It's dumb. it's pure just dumb entertainment, but it's it's fantastic. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. And the other voice that you've heard is uh someone who if you've uh watched or listened to the first episode that you've already heard, she has the hair that launched a thousand ships and she is known as the maniacal geek and that's my friend Sam. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing well, Nathan. So, um, anything new and exciting happened since the last time? Uh, uh well, uh, the world's still standing. I haven't burned it down yet, so I guess it's okay. Um, <laughs> That's good. But the, <laughs> the, the world of archives steadily goes on. And uh, yeah, there's uh, more superhero shows on than you can shake a stick at, and I'm kind of perfectly okay with this. That's right, <laughs> so, and- and we actually talked about a lot of those superhero shows on your own podcast. <laughs> very true. Um, yeah, I, and I, as I don't know when this will air, it's very possible that by the time this airs, the two episodes that we did encompassing all of the current uh, television shows that are superhero superhero oriented will have aired by now. So uh, look for those. <laughs> it's a six hour marathon between the yeah. two episodes. <laughs> Because when we just started talking, we just didn't shut up. (laughs) Which also means that we probably could have gone on for a lot longer, so you're actually lucky it's only six hours worth of entertainment. Yeah, because you were like, I need to sleep. (laughs) And Nathan, that'll be you and I with Babylon 5, except nobody else will care. That's true. (laughs) The five listeners to that podcast will love every minute of it. Yeah, maybe five. Just break it up into episodic. Like on this episode, we talk. About- <laughs> we probably could do a podcast about every episode. <laughs> hey, there's plenty of podcasts out there that do that. So. <laughs> so, thank you all for joining me today. And now we're going to move on to five questions. And uh, for people coming in for this episode, five questions is an idea that I came up with just for both to uh, say a little bit more about themselves that they might not have uh, talked about during their introductions, and also for us all to kind of loosen up by having some questions that, you know, just kind of make us think about different fandoms and stuff, and uh, I just thought it would be a fun way to sort of get the ball rolling uh, with the uh, with the episodes. And originally, I had thought about doing this only for new people that were coming on uh, the podcast, but I decided that these are kind of fun, and I've come. There's enough questions now that uh, even someone like Sam, who's already been in an episode, like we'll just all answer the questions every time, so that uh, you know <laughs> we can all we can all participate in the fun. Oh yay! <laughs> <laughs> all right. So first question: Best Western mythology, Greek or Norse? I know it's my turn. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you will be judged by your answer. That's all these questions are. It is just about judgment. I mean, no pressure. No pressure at all. Right. Choose wisely. <laughs> she chose poorly. Well, that means everyone's faces are getting melted off. Well, I think, I don't know. I kind of want to go with Greek, but at the same time, I've named numerous cats after Norse gods. So 
I thought for sure you that's the way you were going to go, because of your cats. <laughs> yeah, you've known my cats that were named after Norse gods. That's right. And now I've just got Neelix. Uh, it could be a Norse god. <laughs> <laughs> really obscure one. Yeah. The, the god of being He's really annoying. It likes to make weird food. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Norse. Okay. Well, i got to go Greek, simply because that's the one I'm more familiar with. Besides Marvel Comics and their North mythology. Uh, I will go with the Greek mythology because I've been reading it since I was about 12, so I'm very well versed in Greek myth, as well as this Roman equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I go Norse, but that's just because after I started reading Thor comics, I got like super into Norse mythology because I was like, wow, this is really cool. I got super into it because of the Asgards and Stargate. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Second question. Hercules, the legendary journeys, or Xena, warrior princess? Xena! <laughs> warrior princess. <laughs> well. I like the fact that no time was taken. Right. I didn't even finish. I mean, Xena, Hercules. Xena! I gotta go OG, man. Gotta go Hercules on that one. He started it. <laughs> Oh, you're going to make me choose. How dare you? <laughs> um, I actually... Man, I really liked Hercules a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that while I liked a lot of the things they did with Xena, I thought the show Hercules was a more polished production. I, I, I prefer Hercules. To be perfectly honest, I haven't watched Hercules since it first aired, whereas Xena I've rewatched. so... Uh. <laughs> Well, I, I have to say that Xena did, I think, have more Bruce Campbell in it, which does, you know, put it a little more in Xena's favor. Uh, well, it, the fact of the matter is both of those shows had, like, the most amazing, like, ancillary cast of characters because yes. of all the evil dead connections and, and Ted they, showing up all the time. And they had so much camp in both of them. It was phenomenal. But how I, can you not go with Joxer and the Mighty? Come on! Okay, well, see, when you when you say Joxer, okay. Joxer. <laughs> I couldn't stand Gabrielle, but I love Joxer. <laughs> Some of the best episodes were when they actually went uh, meta and were doing like the uh, writers' room stuff and everything. Like yeah. those were my favorite episodes um, because they could just totally make fun of themselves. Like the nineteen, where like the nineteen forties episode where they were all like the reincarnations of their characters and everything. Well, that was because they both did different versions. Like Xena often did a lot of a reincarnation, whereas Hercules did a lot more of the oh, we're in like the production, you know room or something like that like they mm. they did a whole thing after Aeolus had died for like for reals this time which it wasn't for reals he totally came back again uh, <laughs> and then they commented on how they'd killed him so many times at that point all right well at the risk of like turning this into the Xena and Hercules podcast <laughs> we will do <laughs> yes which we will do now um I'm gonna rain this one give in. me a while to rewatch it all right <laughs> Yeah, I need Cleopatra to. Cleopatra 2525 and Jack of All Trades. Yeah, <laughs> see, I never finished either of them from the first try, and I had sometime around the middle of them both. I went to college and I kind of like lost track of them, so I would need to watch them both all the way through. But all right, so third question: Doctor Who, new and fresh or classic is best? I love my David Tennant. Um, new and fresh. I'm gonna go new and fresh. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> 
I've seen episodes from the pre. Like, I love Tom Baker. Okay. But I'm more likely to watch, like, Eccleston and Tennant and Smith than I am. Tom you know. Baker's overrated. <laughs> I'm going to agree with Stephanie on this one while still saying that I like him. But uh, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, he's great, but he's way overrated. Right. No, and that, that I do agree with. But that, yeah, no, I, I just expected, though, that, uh, you know, everyone that we have on today would probably go new. But either way, I'm classic as best. All right, so fourth question. Who wore Kirk better, Shatner or Pine? <laughs> That's a Shatner. stupid question. <laughs> I mean, come on now. It's got to be Shatner. Oh, excuse me. It's got to be Shatner. <laughs> Like, it's not even a fair question. Like, who made Kirk better? Like, it's Shatner all the way. I mean... Oh, no. I'm happy to hear that, because honestly, there's a lot of people out there who think Pine is better. No way. Yeah. And and they're communists. I like Chris Pine. He does a great job, like, redoing the role, but he's not the definitive Kirk. I mean... No, see, the thing is, the the Kirks in both... They're they're both completely different characters, though. Yes. Right. I just like the original Kirk better, and you can't help but love Shatner. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I also prefer Shatner. But yes, I've I've actually heard uh, many many a podcast where people go on about how much better Pine is, and that he's brought in like you know modern audiences because you know Shatner's acting is something that people just can't watch nowadays, and you know. So anyway. <laughs> watch Shatner act all the time. He's hilarious. Yeah, see, I agree. <laughs> I mean, come on. Shatner TV. 24-7. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, final question. And it's kind of appropriate that the randomizer spat this one out for this podcast. Superman or Batman? Batman. Batman. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> and I'm Batman too, so now I know why everyone on here decided to be on this podcast. This episode. <laughs> However, if it was between Batman and Wonder Woman, then we'd have a completely different thing going on here. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, if you couldn't tell from my earlier comment about, I don't even remember how, but I already ripped on Man of Steel. Right. So. Well, but even to be fair, even if you like Superman, Man of Steel had problems. Yeah, but... It was by and far not the best expression. it was terrible, then yes. <laughs> right. Most boring action movie I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely not the best adaptation of Superman. Uh, by it was far. definitely not the best adaptation of any comic book property. Right. And when you already don't like Superman, it was just really bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well we made it through five questions. Yay! <laughs> All right, and now we're going to take a brief break here while we uh, play a promo for another podcast. The Avengers Assemble podcast from White Rocket Entertainment. Creator and fan interviews and discussion about Marvel's Avengers comics, movies, and everything else. From Van Allen Plexico and the Jarvis heads of AvengersAssemble.net, creators of the best-selling Assembled books and the most fanatical Avengers fans on the face of the earth.
right, and we're back. And now we're going to talk about uh, the Batman movies that Tim Burton made. And we'll start off with the first one, uh, appropriately titled Batman. And uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this uh, you know, first for the comic book adaptations is that even though I had seen Batman and other media before this, I, I watched Super, uh, Super Friends growing up. And I had seen uh, other movies about uh, superheroes, uh, mostly the, the four Superman movies that Christopher Reeves had done. They never really grabbed me until this movie came out. And it was such a change from how I'd viewed superheroes before that, that it made me really sit up and take notice. And it kind of drove my interest in uh, superhero characters for many years to come and uh so so first off before we really dive into the movie itself i was just wondering if you guys remember seeing this for the first time and uh you know sort of uh, how you felt about it uh, so sam why don't we start with you do, do you remember seeing this for the first time oh no uh it came out in 89 i was five in 89 so <laughs> there was no way um because yeah i don't think i actually saw uh batman the 89 uh movie until i was probably in high school you know just because i mean my parents weren't necessarily like they, they liked superheroes but they weren't like necessarily taking me to see all those movies all the time mm-hmm. and i really got into superheroes because of the batman animated series which you know we 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 got because of this movie but my experience with batman was the cartoon and i had actually seen more of the 66 show before i saw burton's uh go at it so uh yeah i came into it kind of late in the game so i think where a lot of people have a lot of reverence for it i just kind of go like huh yeah, it's a movie. There you well, go. yeah, I mean, certainly the animated series had so many episodes over which to develop itself that it's kind of unfair because it is a lot of the style style of the movies, but they got to do it for so much longer and, uh, you know, do more with it. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I completely understand why coming from it in that way, why this wouldn't seem all that uh, or as impressive um, as, as it did to me growing up and having never seen anything like this before. Definitely. Uh, but funny enough, I never saw the 60s Batman until after this, and I was kind of shocked and horrified by it. <laughs> you and an entire wow. generation. <laughs> yeah. Just my local area never played it in syndication like a lot of places did, and I only ever saw it when uh, the Family Channel started uh, putting it on cable after uh, this movie was so uh, successful. Yeah, I, just watched it. I watched it on Nick at Night all the time because my mom is huge into all those shows, and so mm. I developed an interest in them as well. Okay. <laughs> so, Stephanie, do you remember seeing this? For, I mean, it doesn't have to be when it came out, but do you remember the first or like seeing this for the first time? Well, I was three when it first came out, so obviously that's a little early there. Um, actually, I know you're going to scoff at it, but the first Batman movie I saw, I was actually introduced with the Adam West show when I was a real little kid, and I love the camp of Adam West's Batman. But I fell in love with Batman forever. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, because I was going to give you the Adam West Batman, because I was like, even though I was shocked and horrified by it as a kid, having seen it later on, I sort of appreciated what it was doing with it, but oh, Batman forever. Oh. 
That was I the first one I Batman saw in the movie forever. theater as well. <laughs> but that was the first one I saw in theaters. And after that one, I I mean, I'd already really liked the Adam West Batman. I really loved Batman Forever. And that's when my dad eventually introduced me to uh, Batman and Batman Returns. And let's just pretend Batman and Robin doesn't exist. Right. But what's that called? <laughs> I don't know. Did three. I just say something? There's, there's only three in the first trilogy. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I don't really have much of a memory of really the first time I saw it being anything substantial other than it was something new for me that was my Batman. Okay. Well, Will, you're our elder statesman here. So I know that you have to remember when this thing came out, because just the media presence for it was oh, tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, um, yeah, this came out after my freshman year of high school, um, somewhere between freshman year and sophomore year. And you could not get away from this movie at all. You know, like, and this was pre-internet. This was pre, uh, you know, uh, blogs and, and websites that gave you constant 24-7 information updates about, you know, oh, there, here's a, Here's a screenshot from, you know, day 76 of filming, you know, <laughs> you, you, you knew nothing until you got the official word from the official sources, you know, so here comes USA Today and here comes your local paper and here comes Entertainment Tonight and like major like news networks on like the nightly CBS, NBC News and CNN. Everybody was covering it. I mean, you could not get away from this movie and uh, simply because it was drastically different from anything we had seen up to that point, you know, because the only real, I mean, the only real superhero movie we had up to that point was Superman, you know, Superman and then Superman two. Gosh, when did Superman three come out? I think it came out before this. Oh yeah. Uh, actually all four Superman movies came out before this. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm not uh, quest for peace. Was that before this? Yeah. Quest for peace was either 87 or 88. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so, and of course, with those movies, that's another case of diminishing returns. But that's a whole other podcast. Right. But and this was just a shot in the arm, you know. Like, and me personally, like my experience with Batman, you know, I saw a handful of episodes of the CT6 show, you know, in reruns, you know, on on local channels and whatnot. So that was my my main introduction to Batman. And then I picked up a comic here and there. At that point, I was mainly into like you know, like your Transformers, your GI Joe comics, you know, and, and mm. just starting to get into X Men. But the Batman I was used to was, at that time, was nowhere near this dark. You know, like Dark Knight had come and gone, but I missed it. You know, I had no idea what it was when it came out. I just missed it altogether. I didn't read it until after this movie came out. So, you know, we first hear about Michael Keaton getting cast, and we're, you know, the entire country is just like, what? <laughs> Mr. Mom is Batman? Michael Keaton? Huh? You know, and then Jack Nicholson being cast as a Joker, and everybody's like, right on. My, you know, Jack Nicholson, a Joker. That's perfect casting. And then Tim Burton is filming it and is directing it. And we're like, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton? <laughs> yeah. What? Isn't that a credit that you really want attached next to Batman? <laughs> I mean, let me look up Tim Burton here, but I believe this was like his second or third movie. You know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he had he, done he Beetlejuice before this as well. Right, there you go. He wasn't big, bold, underlined Tim Burton by this point, you know. And then they started releasing, like, some some shots from the, you know, like, some concept art and some shots from the sets, you know, the big, massive statues of the big, you know, the big buildings. And I'm seeing these pictures and whatnot, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Gotham City. We're finally getting Gotham City. Thank you so much, Tim Burton. I love you, Tim Burton. And then when, the, when it came out, 
course, you know, this is summer, so, you know, a handful of us that, you know, in school, we, you know, got together and went to, see, went to see it in the theater. And, man, I was slack-jawed the entire time, you know. I'm like, this is, like, the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Because this was Batman taken seriously based on the comics. You know, this was uh, a dark, a brooding, you know, this was not the bang-pow-zip, you know, holy chum Batman, you know, from the 66. This was a serious, you know, taken seriously Batman. Um, sure, they messed with the continuity a little bit. They messed, you know, I mean, spoiler alert, you know, Joker didn't kill Batman's parents, you know, in the comics and whatnot. But, uh, man, I, I didn't care because this was the Batman I'd been waiting all 14 years of my life, you know, up to that point for. And, man, it was it was a cultural landmark when it came out in 89. 100%. You couldn't get away from it. Yeah, it had the highest uh, opening weekend ever when it came out. Yeah, I'm looking at it on Wikipedia here. When it came out, it was the fifth highest grossing film in history. Right. When it came, I mean that's insane. You know, over 400 million in box office, 89 dollars of 400 million. I mean that's incredible. You know, you also got to think back in '89 there was no multiplexes. You know, I think the biggest screen we, the biggest theater we had in my neighborhood in that at that point in time had like four screens. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was two two theaters. One had two. One had four. You know, so there was you know if if a movie lasted long enough to make that much money, then that was a, a phenomenon. You know, so yeah, it was it was this huge just cultural landmark that you know even people that had never even heard of Batman were getting on board the Batman train. Um, so yeah, it was it was something. It really was. Yeah, I uh, like I say. I mean, it, it was it was a huge like almost life changing event for me uh, seeing that. I mean. It wouldn't have its full expression until a few years later when I saw the X-Men cartoon and that, you know, that plus Batman is kind of what propelled me into comics, but um, it certainly had me more interested in superheroes because, I mean, the thing is with a lot of, like, the shows that had been out before then, like, all the characters always got along, they were always super pure, and it's like Batman started introducing the idea that, you know, just because these people may fight you know, criminals and whatnot doesn't mean that they are perfect people. Right. And did you see it in the theater or no? Um, I did actually see it in the movie theater. Uh, my babysitter uh, that uh, my mom hired because she was working um, during the summer uh, uh, took my brothers and I to see it. So, nice. yeah, yeah, it, uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I was nine at the time. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, it made a huge impression on me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this movie even got me down you know i mentioned earlier how i was bigger into marvel than dc this movie got me down the dc rabbit hole you know like because of this i'm like give me more batman what what else can i digest so uh, because of this i read crisis on infinite earth because of this movie i read batman the dark knight returns i started collecting batman on a monthly basis because batman 600 oh my gosh it's written by sam ham who wrote the first movie gotta pick it up you know mm-hmm. and then here comes the animated series and you know there you go um but yeah, it was amazing time. All right, so so that we don't mon- uh, monopolize the podcast entirely, <laughs> let's launch sure, into yeah. talking about the movie um, itself. So, Stephanie, um, watching it, because I know you told me you, you just rewatched it fairly recently, right? Yeah, I had an impulse buy on Amazon where I bought all four of the original, I mean, all three of the original <laughs> Batman. <laughs> right. Okay, so, so, it so. happened to be a box set of all of them on Blu-ray. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so how did you, I mean, what did you think of it just watching it, you know, now? I mean, it's been, what, 25, you know, more than 25 years since it came out. 
I mean, obviously, some of the special effects give you a little bit of a chuckle here and mm-hmm. there. Um, and the pacing in both Batman and Batman Returns, I've yet to move on to Batman Forever because I started rewatching Babylon 5 in between there. Um, There's a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, the pacing is substantially different from what we're accustomed to now with more modern superhero movies. They definitely took a little bit more time establishing everyone and giving us a bit of information before really delving into the action and full plot. Mm-hmm. That was one observation I made with watching the two of them, actually. Just the pacing is so much different, but it, you can tell that it's still kind of like the father of the modern superhero flick. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, because that was sort of my impression, because it's been quite a few years since I've seen it as well. And while I could see the sort of nugget of what would grow into the, you know, sort of more modern interpretations, you know, even going on to, to Nolan... I mean, the effects, yeah, I mean, on high definition, there's some issues with some of, like, the matte paintings blended into real backgrounds, and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, you can see, like, the, the line that's, you know, holding Batman as he falls a few times, you, know, you can see the, the, the cable, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the in his... falls in every once in a while. But, you know, I mean, uh, so, so there are some problems with that, with technicalities, um, you know, with the production. But then again, they didn't anticipate that we'd have Blu-rays, you know, in the future that would show us everything in pristine glory. Um, but, uh, yeah, and also, you know, the slowness of the pace. One thing I did appreciate, though, was in the beginning, if you know Batman's story at all, you think you're watching, like, the Wayne murder about to happen. When I first started watching it, it had been so long since I had last seen the movie, like probably at least 10 years or so, um, before I popped in the Blu-ray. Gosh, how long ago was that? Was that maybe a month or so ago that we first started talking about this? Yeah, probably about, yeah. When I first popped in the movie, I was like, I don't remember it starting off with with his parents' death. Wow, I, I really thought that was something that was revealed later on, and then... Bam! No, it's not actually them. It's just a uh, a nice little parallel to get the story started. Yeah, I thought that that was a nice touch uh, myself, just because it for for anyone who doesn't know the story of Batman, you know very well. It's like, oh, okay, well, not at this point. <laughs> well, no, I meant back in '89 when it was less part of the public conscious, but uh, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, if it, it, it was just part of the story, but yeah, if you, it was it was a nice uh, subtle way of of bringing people into it i thought with that um for people who were familiar making them think they are getting one thing and then being like no this is batman's already established here and he's going to take these guys down but uh so sam what did you uh what do you think of the uh the movie watching it uh upon rewatch or even yeah upon rewatch it, yeah uh well i mean a lot of it is based on you know memory and everything too it's you know, to me, it's just as campy in a lot of places, you know, in, in terms of how people talk about its darkness, like, I, I guess in some spots, but for me, it seemed like a really big predecessor, uh, a successor to the 60, the 60s show, like, there are elements of camp in there where you're just kind of like, I, I don't see where the darkness is anymore, because it seems like uh, Jack Nicholson is really trying to be Cesar Romero right now. So... 
but yeah, I mean, I still like Michael Keaton in the role. Like he he does a, a, a really good job in in both aspects. Um, I think he makes a better Bruce Wayne than anything mm-hmm. else. But um, yeah, he's still serviceable in the role or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. I I could do without Vicky Vale still. It's just not. Yeah, and that was the one takeaway that I had when I uh, when I uh, watched it. Of, of I was like, I like all the characters. Well, Jack Palance was the other one as um, Grissom that I felt like oh, he okay. didn't know what movie he was in. But I don't uh, think Jack Palance has known what movie he's been in for <laughs> some time. <laughs> but, um, but but yeah, I felt like like uh, basically. And to be fair, you know, because I, I actually watched the D, uh, Blu-ray extras. And uh, I found out that she was cast, like, two days before they started filming. Oh. <laughs> um, they, they were actually going to have Sean Young originally playing Vicki Vale, and she had a horseback riding accident and couldn't do it. And so they had to find an actress as quickly as possible, and Kim Pasinger was, was who they found that could, you know, do it, you know, at so short notice. So they pulled Is that her. why Sean Young went, like, crazy psycho over, like, being Catwoman? Yeah, that's yeah. That was the thing in the follow-up extra on Batman Returns. They talked about how she felt. She felt like she had made uh, that she had missed out on something so big uh, because of mm-hmm. how big Batman had become that she desperately wanted to be in Batman Returns. So yeah, mm-hmm. she like actually dressed up as Catwoman and showed up at the studio trying to get them to uh, hire her. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, that was that was special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remember me? I was in Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one thing that I really wanted to talk about that jumped out at me uh, when I first started watching it again is the music. Danny Elfman's score is uh, mysterious. It's um, you know, it's powerful. It's uh, dark in places. I mean, did you get uh, Sam? So at least I, I know that you don't care for the movie that much. But did you like the score? No, I've, I, um, it, it's really, uh, it's something to really reflect on because I never really realized how much of Danny Elfman's music has been a part of my life. <laughs> um, not just with like Batman, the animated series, but you know, he did the, the opening theme to the Simpsons and, mm-hmm. uh, and whatnot. So, uh, to hear that score and just kind of, it, it almost takes you back to a time you didn't realize you'd forgotten in a weird way. I don't know. But no, I love uh, Danny Elfman's music. I think he's, you know, he's very good. Like, his orchestrations are amazing, just, like, how big he can get, and yet also, like, how how kind of subtle and mysterious, like you were talking about. Um, I think it's some of his best work. I absolutely adore Danny Elfman as a composer. He and John Williams are, like, two of the, inarguably, the best composers out there that we've got in the movie industry. And it definitely conveys the feeling of basically what you were saying kind of mystery and darkness here but lightness there and to me hearing the main batman theme though that he composed always makes me think back to when i was a kid going to six flags in uh down in chicago area why am i space gurney that's the city it's in (laughs) six flags great america Yes, Six Flags Great America, which is the one that I grew up with, seeing as how, you know, before I moved away, you moved to where I lived. Right. <laughs> Anyhow, um, that song you just always heard because they had the big Batman ride there. I think now they've got, they've still got Batman and now they've got the Dark Knight. So <laughs> it's been a while since I've been to Great America, though. But anyways, 
that theme just very much sticks with me too, not only because of Batman, but because it brings back to times where I was going to the amusement park and just having fun. And so it's kind of a creepy, hey, let's go have fun type thing for me. But <laughs> yeah, the tie-in is actually a cool point because yeah, I, th- there was actually a Six Flags where I spent a lot of my childhood or near where I spent a lot of my childhood in Atlanta. And uh, same deal because Six Flags is owned by Warner. Um, you know they had all they had a whole Gotham section to the park where they had like the Riddler and the Batman ride, and you know, and they used to have like the shows that they would perform with an actor dressed up as Batman, and they would have a Batmobile and everything, and they'd do stunts and stuff. And there's a whole little storyline to it, and so it was just a lot of fun going there. And, and that's just part of like the the huge media presence that this movie had is like you could not get away from Batman I mean, for the for the you know eight eight years I guess between Burton and Schulmacher you know Batman was huge even if the movies turned in diminishing returns you know uh the the hype for Batman and the presence of Batman just stayed like everywhere I mean the last time I went to Great America it was still a pretty big presence there too they don't have the costumed actors anymore or the shows but the whole Gotham area was still heavily the Gotham area, and that was actually that was as recent as maybe ten years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> we're getting old. Oh, <laughs> uh. uh, so so Will, what what do you think of the uh, the Elfman score? Well, and as you guys are sitting here talking about it, I'm I'm humming it to myself, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it's that iconic of a score. You know, this is this is like to me, this is Danny Elfman his most iconic score, you know, and he's turned to some good stuff, man, like this and the Simpsons and Beetlejuice. I mean, we could list, you know, 10 scores where his, his work is top notch. But for me, yeah, like you said, man, it, it, it runs the gamut. It's exciting. It's, you know, you watch those opening credits of the movie and it gets you fired up before the, before the first shot of the movie, you know, get you ready for the movie. Well, but actually, it's, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, there, go ahead. But- thinking about that i'm suddenly trying to think of all the more recent superhero movies we've had both marvel and dc and i can't think of any of them that really have as uh notable and impressionable scores yeah it's sad even when danny elfman is doing them he seems to be aping his uh batman score like like spider-man you listen to the spider-man score and it's like he's trying to sort of do batman with spider-man it's like it doesn't work because the characters aren't really the same <laughs> yeah the right. only the only soundtrack i can really think of that's memorable is guardians of the galaxy and that's just because they went with all retro pop <laughs> right. mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's something that uh, me and a few friends have discussed as well because i'm a i'm a self-admitted just huge fan of movie scores in general but yeah it seems like dan for me personally danny elfman is kind of he, he keeps Danny Elfman hing himself, if that's what you can look at it. But yeah, there's nothing really memorable that memorable anymore. You know, even Hans Zimmer, who I think is a fantastic composer, you know, for the main thing in his trilogy of Batman scores was two notes, you know. Sad because it's great, true. <laughs> he had some great songs, you know, that he built off those two notes. But essentially, his Batman theme was two notes, you know. Mm. Um, and all the Marvel stuff, you know, the Avengers has a good short little me- you know melody but there's no real like you say iconic film scores behind them you know alan silvestri and um uh, i think brian tyler does a lot of their scores but you know like you say there's nothing real major you know um and i can't think of the one from x-men right now the main thing i think of when i think of the x-men movies is the animated series from the 90s 
Yeah, the only other score that comes close is the Superman score, which predates this, which John Williams did, which is also very iconic and memorable, and people hum it to themselves and everything. But yeah, I, I think in since Batman, there, there nothing has has hit like that did. Right. I don't even like Superman, and I like John Williams' Superman score. Yeah, <laughs> it's just instantly recognizable. Yeah. Right, and it's inspiring and hopeful. It's everything that a well done Superman adaptation should be, and the music expresses that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and along those same lines, the the Batman score emphasized everything Batman was about. You mm-hmm. know, the dark, the brooding, the moody. You know, the dual nature of of this crazy guy that puts on a suit and beats up people. You know, I think the score really personalized that tremendously. You know, no, I, I completely agree with that. I, I um, you know, that was something that while I've thought about it in the years since, and of course I've heard it on Batman the animated series many times since. It, it it gets a little bit of a better presentation, of course, in a movie, uh, especially with surround sound and everything else, and sort of the depth and the power of the orchestral, you know, arrangement is is better. And I just spent a lot of time thinking about that, and then just the whole score. Batman, the animated, or I'm sorry, Batman, uh, the movie was actually the first soundtrack that I ever owned. Now, did you have the soundtrack or the score? The um, whatever whatever it was that had all of the music in the movie except for the print stuff. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, because I thought that was cool as well because you could buy two soundtracks to the movie. Mm. You know, you had one just nothing but prints, and then you could buy the Danny Elfman score as well. You know, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, and and speaking of music, though, just as a little aside, I love the fact because it's one of those things that people talk about but never do that Joker actually has a guy with a boombox following him around playing his music. Yep. <laughs> Oh my god, that's right. Yep. <laughs> See, I just I just want someone to do that in real life. Just for you, you have your own soundtrack just following you around. That's Be like, right. yeah, right. I used I'm to go deface the Mona Lisa. <laughs> I used to say that I wanted somebody playing the Imperial March following me around. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the characters now. We've touched on it a little bit, um, and I don't want to do this too formulaic, or we'll be here for hours, you know, like going through each character individually. But just sort of impressions of the main cast and how well you thought the actors did. Alfred is the true hero of everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's R2 of the Batman movies. Yeah, I, I love um, Alfred in this. In Batman Returns, he's so marginalized. But in this first one, it's so great that he's always there in the background picking up after Bruce. He's anticipating that Bruce wants a drink before he even asks for it. And he already, you know, you see him preparing the drink. And then Bruce is like, Alfred, can I have a drink? And he just hands it to him. <laughs> and right. I, I love all those little touches of this man that's like been basically raising this person for most of his life and still is doing it like even though he's in his 30s you know he's still like taking care of him completely it's it's really it's it's endearing and uh it's just it's so well played by uh michael goff yeah it's so fitting with the uh the father-son uh aspect of their relationship especially in the comic books just uh mm. how bruce can sometimes get ahead of himself and then alfred is just there to kind of like swat him back a little bit yeah in fact my favorite moment for vicky vale is the bit where they're first eating dinner but then they sort of retire you know they go to the kitchen and it's alfred like telling stories about bruce and everything and i feel like that whole sort of family feel to it is like one of like it's one of the best scenes in the movie because it feels very mm-hmm. genuine yeah you definitely got a sense that alfred was the one holding 
the family of him and Bruce together. You know, if mm. if Alfred wasn't there, Bruce would have just fallen apart. You know, yeah. He seems really quick to uh, pick up a fire poker and just go like, <laughs> go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really bizarre scene that I thought. I thought. I mean, he was trying to get the Joker to shoot him, I guess, but it was just kind of weird that that's the direction he went with it to make him do that. <laughs> Well, you know, you just want to make people really understand that this is a crazy psycho guy who wears a bat costume. So. <laughs> right. You want to get crazy? Let's get crazy. Well, I, I thought the weirdest thing that received absolutely no comment is Vicky wakes up and sees him hanging from a pole oh like God. a bat. Oh, right. And it's like, you don't say anything about this? You don't question it? Think it's a little strange? Just really? You know, you know, bats always, you know, sleep upside down. Well, guess what Batman does? <laughs> This is some weird yoga. What's going on, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, I mean that was definitely one of the more Burtony aspects of it. I think is the just sort of random, kind of strange, silly thing just put in there. I actually very much think that Burton would do good uh, readapting Batman with a Grant Morrison script or something. <laughs> it would probably be the most epic "Time is be... a Flat Circle" movie ever. <laughs> that'd be just that'd be just straight up disturbing, right? <laughs> Jeez, sign me up. It's gonna be better than what they're doing now, but anything at this point. Let's not dwell on the negative. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about things that we liked about the movie. (laughs) Will. Um, Well, and and I have to confess, when I went back and rewatched it after about a ten-year time frame, I suffered a bit of the old rose-colored glasses kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like the first time I rewatched it, I'm like. What 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 am I watching here? Because it the camp just screamed out at me, you know. Yeah. And we're talking about the characters. I'm like, you know, this is after I watched Dark Knight. I went back and rewatched the first one just to compare Heath Ledger's Joker to Jack Nicholson's Joker. And Heath Ledger's the Joker just completely blew me away. And then I'm seeing Jack Nicholson. I'm like, what? This this isn't what I remember from being 13 years old. What's going on? I actually so, had the reverse. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. I had watched uh, Ledger's Joker, and then I finally went back after forever watching uh, Nicholson's Joker. And I was just like, yeah, this is the way the Joker should be. (laughs) Right. Uh, that's cool. That's interesting. It's also, like part of how the you know movies are not a vac- are not made in a vacuum kind of thing, mm. right? Where it's like they're both movies. If you look at the Dark Knight and, and Batman eighty nine, they're products of their time completely. Sure. You know, and I think that they're the the villains and how they're interpreted even reflect that too, because uh, the Burton Joker is much more just kind of like you know, kind of just generic crazy. You know, right. <laughs> little violent or whatever and and i feel like jack nicholson was cast because of just his face alone would probably scare babies but you know (laughs) that is what i was just gonna say i mean he's a better actor than i think you're giving him credit for with that one because he's a terrible actor i'm saying that just his face is enough to get you going like well he could play a villain um (laughs) and then he stretched the the smile up the way they do i mean the makeup on him was really well done Uh, like He's he's absolutely kind of he's he's very terrifying to look at uh, in in his own way, whereas like Ledger's Joker is much uh, much more, you know, for lack of a better word, subtle in what he wants and what he's doing, uh, except for when he's in that nurse outfit and everything. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> his is more the anarchist terrorist joker than this one, who is just, again, like I said before, reminiscent of, of a Cesar Romero uh, right. kind of I, I but see I feel that that's doing him a disservice to to say he's he's just doing Caesar Romero because you know I, I've seen the '60s Batman and Caesar Romero's Joker gives no threat like I, I don't feel any threatened at all by that character whereas Nicholson gives the impression of a completely insane random guy who doesn't care about hurting anyone, you know, he will just do it just as soon as, you know, just thinking about it, oh, I, I, I want to do that right now. And, um, you know, I, I feel the threat there in his presence. So, yeah, I mean, he certainly hams up some lines and certainly does some very bizarre things, like that weird sort of, like, bird thing he does when he leaves uh, Vicky Vale's apartment for, like, no reason. <laughs> and <laughs> Which he said right. is something he saw a friend do. Uh, Nicholson said that. Well, even just the whole thing with like the 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 what dinner party he's having in the museum and all that mm-hmm. kind of like those are those are fairly I don't know those don't feel threatening those those okay, feel like as somebody hey, who went to college for art that was a very disturbing <laughs> scene. <laughs> what are you doing to my art? I, I do like that he p- put graffiti on the painting of the wall there with Joker was here. <laughs> right, but well, the way that the way, like. Once I got over my initial shock of this is still pretty cheesy, the way I resolved it was that uh, it, it's this is Tim Burton's vision, you know? Mm-hmm. And the way I looked at it, he wasn't necessarily making a darker version of the comics. I look at it more as he was making a darker version of the 66 TV show. You know, he was taking that concept and maturing that and growing that up. Because if you look at, like, like, Joker's gang, those are all pretty copy and paste. You know, they've yeah. even got, like, the Joker's head you know the dick sprang illustration from the comics right there on the jacket you know it's like and the, the helicopter is just all purple and it's got joker's face on it you know i mean that's just straight up from the 66 show so i mean they're all pretty generic gangster members you know and also so, like burton's not afraid to have like batman straight up murder people exactly right yeah you know with the the uh you know the gang that's at the top of the church waiting on him he just tosses that one dude just straight down the, the staircase you know mm. <laughs> smiling about it too like he's totally okay dynamite down a clown's pants it was weird how they had batman's morality in this that was one of the things that i noticed is like he doesn't care about murdering people but it's like when uh jack napier is going to fall into the the you know the the pool of of toxic waste or whatever it is he's trying to pull him back up and I'm like, wait a minute. So, like, the worst of the worst you're trying to save, but, like, all, like, the henchmen and everything, it's like, oh, yeah, I can kill these guys. It's not a problem. They're <laughs> <Right. Spendable. laughs> It just seemed a little odd because it was so, you know, it, it, it didn't seem to be a consistent, you know, worldview there. Yeah, what's your name, henchman number three? Okay, you're dead, you know. <laughs> I do think, though, that the little bit of uh, buildup they gave us as, with, the Jack character before the Joker, I think that also kind of helped in why I've always kind of taken to Nicholson's Joker um, because we did have that little bit of a pre-story for him where we saw even as just your regular old guy, he was a little unhinged and you could see where he escalated. 
Yeah, that was one of the that was one of the things that they uh, talked about in one of the documentaries they had on the on the thing because in the in the comics one of the storylines that's given a possible origin for the Joker is something called the Killing Joke, and in that he was like a regular family man who becomes the Joker, and you know people are kind of divided over whether that's a better origin for the Joker, but there and there were some people in the documentary who were like, no, this is like way better. He's like a mob boss who you know just gets pushed a little bit to like totally insane. Uh, uh, because of this accident that happened, so that is that is kind of uh, an interesting point, uh, you know, about that. One of the the previous origins as well is that he was part of the Red Hood gang mm-hmm. yeah. uh, way back in the what forties or the Silver Age, something like that, when they were trying to do origins for everything. Um, and uh, yeah, and he was up against Batman in the same chemical factory and just fell in. Like there was no. I mean, you, you had him in a gang, but there was no, like, precursor to uh, Joker. It was just, he fell in a vat, came back, and suddenly he's the Joker. Whereas, because I'm, I'm kind of of a different mindset where I, I prefer a Joker who has no definitive backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's what I appreciated about the Heath Ledger version, because it was the, the um, uh, oh god, what is it, the, the narrator... The, oh, there's a term for it, and I just lost it. The unreliable narrator. Unreliable, yeah, yeah, unreliable narrator because he gives like the two different versions of his of his of the origin of his scars and everything, and uh, just the fact that you don't know much about him is you know just scarier or whatever. So, yeah, he could be anyone. Yeah, li- I mean, literally. I mean, it, it, not that I don't admire what they've done with Jack Nichols, and I really want to point that out. I'm not against Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Why do you hate so much, Sam? (laughs) It's the only thing that keeps me going, Nathan. Um, It's the only reason I get up in the morning. But his performance is still good. It's just, you know, in hindsight, it's just not for me. Uh, um, Just just teeing up on what you were saying before, Sam, about his appearance, I really love that they put two Mm -hmm. layers of makeup on him. Oh yeah, when he's got he's just naturally got the pale and then he puts like the, the regular skin tone on. Yes. And looks worse. Like he looks so much worse with the skin tone makeup. Uh, yes, because they that actually was an excellent scene. Yeah, I mean he actually has two layers on there and it looks really you know, it looks really well done and it looks really disturbing, you know, when this that unnatural smile with the skin tone um, you know, on there. And so uh yeah, I thought that they did a really well actually everything like looks wise, even though it's aged, and I did talk about the matte painting joining being bad, but the costumes and the sets themselves all hold up really well, I think. Yeah, on the whole it, it, it ages pretty well. Well, one thing that just kind of disturbed me with the whole thing is the last time I had seen this movie was before I went to college and had like five million art history courses. <laughs> and it really just kind of disturbed me that I was bothered by the Joker going nuts in a museum. Because <laughs> I always hate it when art history affects me in real life. And it happens more frequently than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like the sort of... Art history was like one of my least favorite subjects in my major, and I seriously had to take like 10 different art history courses. So I know a lot about it, and it irritates me so much when it becomes applicable in my life. So when I recently rewatched the movie, and I now have all this art history knowledge, I was really, really bothered with myself that I was really, really bothered by that scene. (laughs) I, I have to say that uh, one of the things that I liked is just the weird design aesthetic. Like, it looks like 
it could be the 30s or 40s but yet people have like tape recorders that they can carry around in their hands and stuff and i kind of like that because i mean it gives everything more of a you know kind of like a noir feel to it you know if you're if you're just coming into it you might think it's like a period piece but it kind of isn't and they talk in the extras about how for the city um they kind of uh went with an aesthetic of how new york looks to a foreigner and if New York had just never been cleaned up and it just continued to just degrade. And, and that just kind of seems like it's really fitting for this sort of crime-infested city that they're making. And it, it just seemed like it all just played off of each other really well. Well, that just makes it timeless. You know, that way, you, you know, you can look at it and it doesn't look like it's from 1989. Mm. You know, like 20 years from now, we can look at like Nolan's trilogy and as good as it is, it'll it'll be dated from this point in time because of the, the cars and the, the look of the cities and the tech they use and whatnot. Where, you know, to the 1989 and then to Batman Returns, their credit, it's a timeless look to it, you know, because of all those different noir elements that they used in it. Until they start playing print. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, then it comes print. <laughs> then it's a time capsule. <laughs> right, right. Prince was forced on them. Oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a terrible joke right there. Whoa! <laughs> I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> the king for Prince. Like, no. <laughs> I don't think so. The, uh, no, to, speaking to the design and the aesthetic again, I mean, the, I mean, there is a timeless quality definitely to the noir look of it because i mean batman is is rooted in in the detective you know fiction mm. and so like noir and the the noir era of like the 30s and 40s was like the prime uh prime time basically for that aesthetic and for that mentality and everything so i think it's it's interesting that that aesthetic always seems to follow batman even well past his origin because you know, for a lot of us, I feel like uh, because with the animated series and with the, the the Burton movies, like that aesthetic is much more quintessentially Batman than any other, uh, you know, evolution of the character's aesthetic has been. Like we all kind of assume that Gotham is a much more 40s centric uh, city than like Metropolis, which is a much brighter, more like much more of a silver agey like 50s kind of look to it like more full of hope and promise than gotham yeah i'd say that that's a that's a fair assessment i did also want to talk about uh, michael keaton a bit more I, I think sam touched on it a little bit but uh, will and, and stephanie what were your thoughts of uh, keaton as uh, batman i thought he was great um like I say, when I first heard he was announced, I was, you know, it was definitely like, what, 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 why? Uh, but once I saw him in the role, I was blown away. I thought he did a great job, both as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah, I thought it was great. And, you know, it seems to me like that, of course, I wasn't too familiar with his career before that, besides Mr. Mom. But it seemed like that opened the doors for him to do more dramatic roles after Batman. Um, so it was definitely a good career move the way I, the way I saw it as well. But, yeah, I thought he was great. I personally like Nolan's Batman better, but he hands down it's like one of the greatest Bruce Waynes. Um, I loved how he portrayed the kind of bumbling millionaire. Like, yeah, I have all this money, but I don't know what to do. Hey, Alfred, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I, I thought the kind of bumbling idiot that he portrayed as a cover for Bruce Wayne, I, I just thought he did that really well. And... Can I'm we, having trouble articulating my thought right now. Can we can we talk about first that that first scene where Vicky Vale and her her buddy the Arliss guy uh, 
meet up with Bruce and <laughs> this is this is one of those things that bugs me about reporters in movies because we also saw it in Batman v Superman mm-hmm. where it's like a reporter doesn't know what Bruce Wayne looks <laughs> like. <laughs> like I mean I would right. almost give it to Vicky that she wouldn't because she was she came in for this. She wasn't really familiar with him at all. But, no, but he's a he's like the richest guy in Gotham. Like there I I feel like she would know what he looks like and and even if she doesn't the dude she's with probably yeah. would. Like, like when she runs into him and is originally like, "Oh, do you know who Bruce Wayne is?" Oh yeah, he's one of these guys here. Sure, that scene I could believe, but when she's with what's his face? Not. He should really know him because he he's a regular in Gotham. Yeah. She, on the other hand, is not a regular to Gotham. So it was forgivable to me that she had no idea who he was. Yeah, that's a great point because he's like a he's like a tabloid reporter. He should know everything about Bruce Wayne. At least at least very much. At the very least, what he looks like. You know? I think Burton's <laughs> interpretation of the character was more that he had he was a complete recluse. You know, less of like what you know, uh, what Nolan was doing with um, with Christian Bale, where you know it was he was a play billionaire playboy that was out there and constantly you know whining and dining and everything. But you know, this version of Bruce Wayne is kind of like he just stays in his mansion and you know nobody kind of sees him. And while I agree that there would be pictures of him out there, you know, if he was such a recluse, he probably doesn't. There probably isn't that much out there, and it, and remember, it's in the days before the internet and everything too, where every every celebrity of any kind is constantly followed by people, and you know pictures are posted, you know, all over the place for everybody to see. So I find that it's believable, you know, even even if it it does seem just a little bit odd. But um, one thing that I wanted to talk about uh, with uh, Keaton's portrayal is. I feel like he really sort of sells the damaged, you know, person. I, I think some of the, I think the scenes where he's talking with Vicky as Batman are probably two of the best, you know, scenes that he has. And this whole idea of, you know, that the world is a messed up place and he's got to be messed up to. To, to create any order out of it is kind of like just speaks to like who Batman is and uh, I, I just kind of like that it, 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 they, they I, I like the performance that he gives there uh, it's kind of understated um, when he when he goes into Batman returns I feel like um, uh, Keaton gets a little too silly. Um, he gets a little more comfortable in the role, um, but uh, here I feel like even though he's he's a little off, um, but when he's being serious and being more Batman like, he he's really he he really conveys that. Um, and one thing I did want to bring up just really quick from the extras is that they cast him both because they felt like he could act very well with his eyes and convey things because he's covered, you know, in the mask, but also because he doesn't have the physicality of a superhero. And they felt like this is a guy that would need to dress up as a bat just to scare somebody. Whereas somebody who's more muscular, <laughs> you know, they, they wouldn't need to do that. If you want to just want to go out and fight criminals, you just go out and fight criminals. Why put on the bat costume? So, <laughs> yeah. and, and to be fair, when he puts on that costume, it does a good job of making him look like he's beefy, even though, you know, Michael Keaton wasn't. 
And the lack of being able to turn his head definitely led to those more dramatic movements and everything. Yeah, although I, I, I was disappointed. This is one of those things we're looking back at it after years, was in how, how static he seems. I mean, yeah, he's got some good fight scenes, but he has to basically move in a straight line in those fights, you know, either forward or backwards, but it's like he can't really do much else at a lot of his action scenes. Well, he can't turn his head. <laughs> right. A lot of his scenes are just him holding up his cape and I looking mean, imposing. <laughs> didn't, like, um, Christian Bale demand a redesign on the costume because he was tired of not being able to turn his head? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I know. Th- I'm pretty sure I heard that with one of the. I can't remember which movie it was, but I remember he, he demanded that he be able to turn his head in Batman. Well, in Dark Knight, they make a whole big deal about him needing a, a rework on the costume. So, and and I think in for for a redesign, they did a really good job of working it into the actual like plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, how does it go up against dogs? Like, hmm, well, I don't know. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. He's a big dog. <laughs> New Williams cat. <laughs> now, was anyone a huge fan of Vicki Vale? I know Sam and I have both talked about how, how she didn't really work for us. Um, Stephanie, did, did you did you feel like she worked, uh, you know, as the love interest character? Eh. Yeah. <laughs> Will? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I mean... I, I can see why she was in the movie, just, you know, because you got to have that that romance that just cannot be with Batman, you know. But, I mean, in the, in the overall grand scheme of things, yeah, she is pretty unnecessary. I mean, nothing else she was there was just a... Just a damsel in distress, you know. Yeah, they they talk in the in the Blu-ray extras about how there was sort of an idea of what if you were a man who was insane and just briefly sort of thought that maybe, you know, you could be sane, you know, and that that through the love with Vicky Vale, that was what they were trying to convey, was that Bruce is this crazy guy and just imagining, you know, through through being with Vicky and imagining, like, a normal life, it was like he was trying to put himself in, well, maybe I could do this, maybe I could be sane and, and live a sane life, but it never really comes through that he's really... He's really uh, uh, divided like that. I mean, he's sort of divided over telling her, but it never seems to me like he's thinking about, you know, giving it all up and stopping to be, you know, stop being Batman or anything. So it just... Uh... Right. Uh, it's, oddly enough, it's Batman Forever that puts the most thought into the duality of Batman's life as a crime fighter and as just Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, Batman they touch Forever on... Batman total trash. <laughs> <laughs> They touch on it a little bit in Batman Returns, but it's mostly just trying to, you know, get as much bang for their buck with Selina and Bruce's um, uh, scenes and everything. But they don't. It's it's actually kind of amazing that the first one that really delves into that is, you know, arguably when the series really started taking way more of a of a cartoonish bent. Yeah, that's true. Well, and to your point, Nathan, I think the only time that they really that they really um, touched on that in the movie was when they were having a heart-to-heart Bruce and Vicky, and she said something about, are we going to try to love each other? And he said, I would like to, which kind of gave me a hint that he wanted to, but he didn't really know how. Yeah. You know, but that all being said, the Batman that I'm used to from the comics and, and all that, you know, he was, he never really wanted to have that, uh, that, that person in his life because he was so obsessed with stopping, stopping crime and, and, you know, fixing justice in the city. He didn't have time 
nor the desire to have that that companion. I don't know. I also didn't buy into it very much because the whole pacing of the movie seemed like this all happened in the span of like three days. Yeah. Right. And right. they're talking about like epic love and crap like that. It just Yeah. It's like a it's like a rom com or a Disney movie. <laughs> we met for like two hours and suddenly we're engaged. <laughs> They took the relationship way too seriously, where if they had lessened up the seriousness of the relationship, I think they could have still tried to portray that same thing without it feeling so stiff and unnecessary. Yeah, that's one of those parts where I feel like the movie didn't work at all, and I think that's because that was actually, that scene was a late addition. Uh, the, the guy who wrote the original treatment uh, always says, because people say, like, how could you have let Vicki Vale into the Batcave? And he was like, that wasn't in my script! You know, <coughs> and and yeah. you can all you can t- yeah how could you but um you know because i mean even like the dialogue is so bad in that scene of are we gonna try to love each other and i've loved you from the moment that i saw you right. you know like her dialogue is all awful in there i kind of like some of the things that he says about you know being a crazy world and you know he has to do crazy things you know in it but you know and also that that bit at the end the very end of the movie where they're reading the letter that batman supposedly like sent to the city along with the bat signal it is like the most contrived hammy you know when the forces of evil threaten again i will be there you know kind of stuff that i'm just like ooh, whoever wrote like because the whole third act was sort of like redone by somebody else that whoever did that it's just like they it 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 was bad (laughs) you know they got some bad dialogue in there again going back to the 60s uh television shows Um, And I actually, I'm actually curious, like, did they, you know, because this is typical of a lot of action movies and or comic book movies that they they have a female character because they're like, oh, this is the only way girls will go see it. Like, does it feel like Vicki Vale was there just like, hey, women, there's a lady in this. You like ladies, right? (laughs) Wait, that came out wrong. Um, I mean, that's. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I, I will say that my dad, um, who is not somebody, like, my dad is sort of stuck, like, in the era when he grew up and, like, only watches, like, westerns and World War II movies. And, uh, but he watched Batman because he, like, was, like, super in love with Kim Basinger. Um, this is, like, the actress he thought was, like, the best, like, actress of all. And, uh, you would watch, he watched all kinds of awful movies because she was in it. So, um, you know, not saying that Batman was awful, but. My grandfather felt the same about Bo Derek. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, so so I, I think there's it's not only just getting the the women to see it, but also you know uh, you know older you know men who might not go to see Batman because they think it's going to be like campy and silly, and it's like oh we'll have this you know beautiful woman in here, and, you know come watch for her. So that's that's part of it too. Yeah. And at that point in time, late 80s, man, there, you know, it was Kim Basinger and there was not many other people besides her. Yeah. You know, she was, she, was, she was the it girl at the time, so let's put her in. And really quick, just to wrap up Batman, I know we're going a little long here, but um, do, do you guys have a favorite scene? Uh, let's go Sam, Will, and Stephanie. Um, do you just have, like, a favorite scene from the movie? Um, I actually do like when Vicky and Bruce are having dinner and that long-ass yes. table. <laughs> 
That that's actually it's it's always kind of one of those like really old jokes that still kind of tickles my funny bone is when you know two people looks like they're having dinner close by but it turns out oh no they're way across the room uh so i enjoyed that for the the visual gag and just kind of the scene in general yeah. so well um yeah i'd have to say probably that that fight scene in the uh in the church you know mm-hmm. near the end of the climax of the movie just because if you go back and look at it you i mean i had to ask myself how did all joker's goons get up there <laughs> Yeah, because like he wasn't planning on going to church until like Batman crash landed on the steps of it, and then like he so here comes the bell, and so Batman's going up the stairs for like twenty five minutes, and then he gets up there. The helicopter's not there yet, but there's just a, a handful of Joker's goons just waiting on him, just hanging out, you know. But yeah, I thought that that scene was a whole lot of fun because here comes you know thug after thug trying to take Batman down, you know, and and so that was a fun little fight scene while Joker's doing a uh, a slow dance with Vicky in the background. You know, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to say that uh, even though I noticed what you noticed, the the problem, the biggest problem that I have with that bit is at the very end when the Joker is hanging on to the rope ladder from the helicopter with like a ton of gargoyle, you know, strapped to his leg. And I'm like, right. there's no way he was hanging on even for that length of time because, you know, those things are stupendously heavy, but... You know. <laughs> Right, a concrete slab of concrete, <laughs> and you're going to pull it off there and hang on to it, right? But, you know, like it, that's not the one thing I'm going to take away from the movie, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, Stephanie, do you have a favorite scene? Well, I did really enjoy the first date with Vicky and Bruce as well, um, but I also really enjoyed the parade <laughs> with the Joker. It was just... It was so over the top, and I, I just... I keep thinking back to that scene and just laughing. I have to say the note that I made at that scene, because yeah, I actually took notes while watching the movie, was that I feel like Burton had like a better like finger on the pulse of human nature than Nolan does, because that's totally what people would do mm-hmm. clawing over each other for money whereas like when yeah. nolan has his movies all about like oh when push comes to shove like the one boat's not gonna blow up the other boat and i'm like no i'm sorry nolan you're completely wrong there <laughs> that's not what would happen but definitely i would definitely have loved to be in that in that area for the parade when all of some money comes shooting out sure it was followed by death gas right. but <laughs> little downside <laughs> for a few minutes there i'd be happy <laughs> I have to say, and remember, I saw this movie first as a nine-year-old, that my favorite scene was the commercial that the Joker put out. I laughed and laughed and laughed with the whole thing about, I get a grin again and again, and then with the models with the lips cut out so that they could do, like, their mouths moving and everything. Love that Joker! I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> <clears throat> Probably that and the huge gun in Joker's pants, which, of course, you know, the idea that a huge revolver is going to have any more power, in fact, would have less power than a normal revolver. <laughs> but, oh, it definitely <laughs> would. It's just, it's just the, of course the, it would. The Come sight on. gag of it is just so funny. So, I love that. <laughs> Alright, well really briefly, let's touch on Batman Returns. I don't feel like it's as meaty a movie as the original Batman, so I think we probably can talk about this for just a few minutes um, here. Um, But just overall impressions of Batman Returns. It was definitely a a bit more of a weird movie than the first one. Batman, to me, was almost a secondary character in this movie. You know, like, like I even thought, like, during the first half hour, I'm like, is because, you know, we watched it, you know, to, to get ready for this podcast. I'm like, is Batman even going to be in this movie? Like, where's Batman? What's going on here? You know? 
because they spent so much time setting up Catwoman, setting up the Penguin, setting up Max Shrek, you know, with the always great Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. you know. It, it it was it was different and it was but it was still definitely Tim Burton's vision. You know, I definitely thought Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman was fantastic. You know, uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, Michael Keaton was still good. Not too sure about the Penguin, but overall, I mean, I didn't like it as good as the first one. Uh, but you know, I thought it was still you know a, a pretty good movie. I could probably talk more about Batman Returns than I could about regular Batman, just because there's just so much more to. To go, why? Why did this happen? Why did any of it happen? Yeah, there are a lot of holes in this stuff. What's, what's going on? Well, I mean, I, I know I mentioned this to you before, Nathan, but like I, the, with the villains especially, the yeah, I, I agree with like a lot of people where the penguin just isn't the penguin. I mean, it's just weird looking Danny DeVito <laughs> playing a guy named Oswald Cobblepot or something, and he eats fish and looks like a freak, which isn't what penguin is at all in any of the comics and grunts uh, a lot what and he grunts a lot at all. yeah and grunts a lot yeah mm-hmm. and you know is okay with biting people on the the ear and everything to whatever he has nose. nose yeah oh, yeah his nose sir yeah match max shrek didn't make any sense to me because i'm pretty sure what they were talking about was that that was supposed to be harvey dent but they they didn't get uh billy d williams or something went down but uh i actually don't like the like Catwoman in this at all because while I don't deny anyone their fetish for women in leather uh, and whips and whatnot that's fine she's useless in this movie she doesn't do anything except die and and then that's it and then become Catwoman and she doesn't really do much as Catwoman except run around and blow up so that's her you know and 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 like will said you know batman doesn't show up until like 20 minutes in practically and then it's just it's just weird with like the light system like bouncing off of different bat signals on on his house (laughs) it's it's like if anyone even suspected bruce of being batman they'd be like you know those big old mirrors (laughs) that have the bat signal on it might be a big old giveaway (laughs) just so we can look into it when it shines on him and stand up and be like yes i am needed (laughs) Well, and, and when he when he first makes his appearance on screen, he's literally sitting there in the dark, right. like staring at who knows what, just just waiting. It's like maybe I'll get a call today. I don't know. I was just <laughs> waiting for Alfred to walk in and be like, "Master Wayne, are you brooding some more?" <laughs> it's it's brew time. It's Burton's whole vision of him seems to be that he's this recluse that just sits around waiting to be Batman all day long, and it it doesn't it doesn't work. Because yeah, even as a kid, when I saw those mirrors, I was like, "How does he keep a secret identity at all?" <laughs> <laughs> no one goes to Wayne Manor apparently yeah. because they'd be like, "Oh, look, Bruce Wayne is clearly Batman." <laughs> of course, I'm older and pickier now, and now I notice things like it's a different Wayne Manor than the last movie, and the Bat game has been like moving around. But that's that, that's 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 being a little picky, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's even too nitpicky right. for me. <laughs> like... So, Stephanie, what were your uh, overall impressions of it? Danny DeVito is a really. F- ducking creepy dude as the penguin (laughs) i mean he's kind of creepy in general but (laughs) holy man yeah his his penguin is just creepy as hell personally i 
I do kind of like Catwoman, but I just have a pre-existing like of Catwoman. When I rewatched this one recently, I do kind of agree with you, Sam, that her part is kind of negligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Selena had more of a role than Catwoman really did. But there were just a few scenes between Selena and Bruce or Catwoman and Batwoman. Batwoman. <laughs> Catwoman <laughs> and Batman. <laughs> There's yeah, a that's a different movie entirely. <laughs> I'd see that movie. Um, (laughs) There's just a few scenes between the two of them, though, that just stand out in my mind so much. Like when they're at the masquerade and the two of them, who are ones with alter egos and wear masks out in their other personas, are the only two at this masquerade ball who aren't wearing masks. I found that to be really kind of an interesting little play on their personalities. The mistletoe line, too, is a is a nice little way of getting them to figure each other out yeah. without them demasking each other. And when Selena does realize that Bruce is Batman and he realizes that she's Catwoman, how she goes, does this mean we have to fight each other? <laughs> right. It's <laughs> very cute. <laughs> It wasn't to, like, kill each other or something like that? No, like, no she says, like, do we have to fight how now? How crazy she's gotten. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I just thought that was really kind of funny and appropriate and very realistic of that type of situation. Because I could totally see myself being in that situation and be like, ah, oh, crap. Do I have to kick your ass now? <laughs> it's like, we go and fight? I guess. I mean, it seems appropriate. <laughs> so, I don't know. It just, I mean, oh god, the marching penguins <laughs> with the bombs. Oh, Why are there penguins in the sewer? <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Why, even if it is connected to the damn zoo, why are the penguins in the, in the sewer? And just, oh, penguin was so creepy. Ugh. Now I just had this mental image of Morgan Freeman narrating the march of the penguins with bombs on their backs. And then there is the scene, too, where Catwoman is sitting on the penguin's bed and starts grooming herself. Like, really? Oh, God, yeah. That whole scene is just ridiculous. Just with his innuendo. It's not even innuendo. It's just blatant sexist dialogue. <laughs> and then one more complaint with Catwoman, though, is the fact that she has... she's She feeds her damn cat milk, and that's all she seems to feed it. Cats are severely lactose intolerant. You would think a woman like this would know that, and her house would be covered in liquid cat poo <laughs> all the time. Time if all she's feeding her cat is milk. That's the twist. She secretly hates cats. <laughs> <laughs> there would be liquid poo everywhere. <laughs> Speaking of of Catwoman and that bizarre scene that she has after she's been you know magically resurrected by her cats and she goes to her apartment and just starts smashing stuff for seemingly no reason. My wife, who also sews a lot, like, the look on her face was priceless when Catwoman just takes out that rubber and just, like, takes out, like, some thread and just starts going to town on her sewing machine and suddenly she's got a costume. Like, <laughs> I can't convey it, but just, like, she's like, you can't do that. She's like, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> It just, I just thought that well, it's kind of like Spider-Man getting his costume like almost immediately after getting his powers. Right. Like, how does he? How does he have access to that kind of fabric? Right. <laughs> but as far as the movie in general, you, you know, there, it's funny because a lot of people were saying that the reason they went with Joel Schumacher and this, this is this came out in the in the uh, the documentaries um, on the Blu-ray is that 
you know, a lot of the execs at Warner felt that the reason that Batman Returns, even though it made money, didn't make anywhere near as much money as the first one, was that it was too dark. Which is funny to me, because I watch it and I go, it's far sillier than the first one. It's it's even more campy. Yeah. And, and, and I thought about this for a while, and I think that it's actually kind of in some ways both. Because you have the Penguin, who is more viscerally horrific. I mean, you know, the Joker shot people, but there was no, like, blood or anything but here you've got the penguin who has like that weird bile coming out of his mouth and he bites the guy's nose and there's blood everywhere and stuff like that but then a lot of the elements he's grotesque that's i mean everything about how they develop danny devito as a as a like aesthetically speaking he's just a grotesque figure like everything (laughs) right but but a lot of the the things that happen seem far sillier and more played for laughs even some of the fight sequences like with batman and the and the clowns that penguin has you know are are a little on the silly side and so it seems to me that it's more and this speaks to another thing is that apparently you know whereas the first movie everyone was at least trying to make a serious batman adaptation for this one because burton didn't want to do a sequel they said no this can be a tim burton movie that just happens to have batman in it and I think that explains a lot. (laughs) I think that explains a lot about the tone of this movie because it feels more like this is a Burton story, and he just slapped some character names from Batman characters, uh, you know, on characters that he wanted to create and and tell a story about that, like the little boy that nobody loved that was then going to take all the firstborn children, which isn't the Penguin, but it's in his version. Well, so he was Zack Snyder before Zack Snyder. Yeah. I'm just going to create the version I want. (laughs) But yeah, but speaking to like the actual things that happened in the movie, like I want to know where he got the cybernetic technology for the penguins anyway. (laughs) You know, it's like we talked about why are they in the sewer, but it's like, and then when did he like develop this technology to make them, you know, like, you know, cyborgs and control them and everything else. And just, again, even as a kid, after loving that first Batman so much, when I saw Batman Returns, I was like, there's just something wrong with this movie. Well, it, and it says something that his um, his trick umbrellas are the least weird thing <laughs> in uh, in the entire movie. Because you have, like, penguins that he can control, and then there was the, what the, um, the little car thing he set up to be able to, like, control the Batmobile and everything. Right. Like, all that stuff is just is just weirder in comparison to the the umbrella that becomes like a, a helicopter. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. and how did they get the plans for the Batmobile in the first place? I never even got you know they show it on the wall that they have the plans, but it was like, well, how did you get that? Alfred invited somebody into ah. the Batcave again. <laughs> now, something I did like. Vicky Vale has a side job on the black market. <laughs> Something that I did like, though, was that they established that the entrance to the Batcave is through an Iron Maiden. And I was like, that is so beautiful. (laughs) It works so well. (laughs) You know, because, like, in the animated series, it's like a a grandfather clock, you know. And I'm like, you know, somebody might conceivably touch a grandfather clock and, you know, figure out the trick. It's like, nobody's getting near that Iron Maiden. (laughs) Well, no one would think to look under the bust of Shakespeare either, so... (laughs) <laughs> right. 
But um, I, I did actually, even though I feel like Catwoman didn't have a whole lot, I do feel like the relationship between Selina and Bruce kind of worked because if you do take the Vicky and Bruce relationship as Bruce trying to become a sane man, this is Bruce finding someone as broken, if not more broken than himself, and thinking that this could work. And on that level, I find that a really endearing relationship that they have, and then realizing that she's just so broken that it, it's, it can't happen. Right. Her crazy matches his crazy. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're both created by tragedy, but his is an external tragedy where his parents die, and hers is she was murdered, part mostly dead? I don't know. <laughs> kind of thing. But... Um, well, if we go by the lore of the Catwoman as established in the Halle Berry movie. Um, <laughs> no! There's, there's no okay, such thing. I like Catwoman, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> saying, don't you all know about how cats resurrect people randomly? <laughs> there's no such thing as a Halle Berry Catwoman movie. Come on. That's like saying there's a fourth Batman movie in the original right. Batmans. <laughs> you shut your lying mouth! <laughs> There is no Batman and Robin, just like there is no Catwoman featuring Halle Berry. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but my problem with that scene at the end, though, even though I think the whole idea of him trying to keep her from killing Max and everything, you know, and, and, and all that works fine, is that he rips his mask off during that scene with, with yeah. Max Shrek right there. So, of course, it's like, do you, do you want to give away? I mean, it's, it goes back to that joke that How It Should Have Ended is always doing of, hey, do you want to know my secret identity? Because even earlier in the movie, he's telling Max that he knows that Penguin is a crime boss, even though he can't prove anything yet. And it's like, what would Bruce Wayne be doing trying to prove that Oswald Cobblepot is a crime boss anyway? It's like, it's like he wants people to find out. <laughs> Okay, can we also talk about like when he uh when when Bruce plays uh Oswald's like you know confession uh basically and then decides to scratch the CD. <laughs> <laughs> I love I'm like I don't think CDs work the same way as records like that. <laughs> Right, but but his, his CD player has a bat symbol on it because of course, and and then he plays it, and then just like in order to rewind it back or replay, he's just like, ee, 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 ee. <laughs> like oh, special bat technology. Right. <laughs> see Bruce Wayne as a DJ with two like CDs scratching them, you know. Oh my god, I would love to see Bruce Wayne as a DJ in a Gotham nightclub. <laughs> It'd be so amazing. I am the knight. <laughs> wiki, 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 wiki. The, the other problem that I had with this movie that I felt was a major problem is that once you find out what the Penguin's endgame is, you begin to wonder, why did he go through the whole thing of Max? You need to give me, like, you know, like a, like a coming out ceremony and introduce me to Gotham and, you know, and everything else. And then he, you know, once Max sells him on the idea of running for mayor, he wants to do that. And it's like, what did any of that have to do with killing the firstborn children of Gotham? It was like, you know, I mean, I, I know you're not supposed to think about that when that's going on. And, and did he really think he could fill an entire city's full of kids into that train? I, it was just the weirdest, like, thing of just the final act just didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, no, well, it's it, because the, 
the in the comics especially like the less um horrific version of oswald cobblepot is actually a a huge contemporary of bruce wayne's like they come from rich families uh they you know they they kind of like grew up in the same circles for the most part and the the whole thing with oswald is that he was just always scorned because he looked a little bit like a penguin like Mm. he wasn't supposed to be like mutated (laughs) you know flipper hands or something um he was just short and had a long nose you know (laughs) Like, and that you know, it is always interesting in terms of their juxtaposition because that's how everyone looks at Batman is in juxtaposition to his villains. You know, that Bruce became this crime fighter and like, you know, spent all that time and mental energy becoming this detective, whereas Oswald, who is also a very smart person and eloquent and whatnot, like him and the Riddler are besties in the in the Gotham universe. You know, he turned to a life of crime and everything. So it was supposed to always be that kind of like two people from the same universe becoming uh, going completely different paths and everything. So, yeah, I guess you could see his he feels rejected by society, but I don't know if they do a good enough. Well, you know, he did he did get thrown into the water by his parents who wanted him to drown. So what are you going to do? Yeah, it's not so much that I don't buy that his end game is that because of him having having the childhood that he had. It's the fact that none of the things leading up to that after him being abandoned as a child made sense for the whole taking the first part. I mean, I don't get how having Max give him a big coming out ceremony and then the whole running for mayor played into what he wanted to do with cyborg penguins anyway. He could have just done that without doing any of that stuff. Could he? Could he? (laughs) (laughs) Could he really? Well, but what what Max is using him to run for mayor so he can get his power plant built? Well, yeah, that's why Max was using him. I'm saying that Penguin, I don't see why Penguin was doing the things that he was doing to achieve his goal. He just wanted to be acknowledged. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, the the other funny thing is, of course, watching it now with Max Shrek, I kept on making jokes like, better out than in, I always say, whenever he was on the screen, but... (laughs) Just needs more cowbell. Donkey. <laughs> anyway. What did you say donkey for? Uh, Shrek. Oh. <laughs> and in the morning, I'm making right. But one thing I do appreciate about both the Burton movies is that there's actually traffic on the streets, and, like, sometimes the Batmobile has to actually, like, stop and stuff, which is, like, not the normal case in an action movie where it's, like, you can be, like, the busiest New York streets, and it's, like, when when it's time for this thing to move, we just, like, can just drive down any street or lane in the city, you know? So I I did kind of like that. Yeah, it's like the Batmobile needs, like, a siren on it or something. You know, get out of the way, people! (laughs) Because there's a whole scene in the first one where they have to get out of the car because they're just stuck. You know, they can't move anymore. Damn traffic. Right. It's just a nice little bit of realism. But does does anyone have anything else that they really need to say to get off their chest about the uh, about the Burton movies, either one? Well, my cat apparently has something to say. <laughs> I don't know if you could just hear him meowing. Oh, oh yes. But he jumped on my lap and meowed right into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, Neelix. Aww. Aww. You know, kitty. The 42-cast debut. <laughs> ask the cat the five questions. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Hercules Hercules cat. But but yeah, since we're, we're since we're we're looking, you know, since we're getting a little bit late long here, uh, do do we have anything more that we want to say about the uh, Burton movies, uh, Stephanie? I think we've covered about everything that I can think of. 
Will, how about you? I'm sure I'll think of more 10 minutes after we hang <laughs> Right, up, that's always but... the way. Yeah, I'm pretty much, yeah. I mean, like, it's good to go back and, and look at it just for historical purposes, you know, just to satisfy your curiosity. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you can you can skip out on it and be okay, you know. <laughs> Sam? No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I have to say that while the first Batman, I think, still holds up to a degree and is worth watching for people who are interested in superhero movies to sort of see one of the major stages, I think, in sort of the evolution of the modern uh, superhero movie. I don't think uh, that Batman Returns is, is really necessary. In fact, when I showed Batman to my wife, it was, I don't know, like seven or eight years ago, and I only just showed her Batman because, you know, at the time it wasn't necessary, but I figured since I was watching it anyway, it's like, oh, why don't you come watch this with me? So uh, <laughs> that is what it is. Um, but I, I feel like it was at least an attempt to do something that made the the comic character more real and more grounded in reality, despite all the weird Burtonisms in there. It was more it was more than Superman, which I feel like was very much this is a comic book that we have made a movie. So I, I do think it was kind of important um, for that reason. Uh, yeah, so um, if no one has anything else to say, then we are going to wrap things up here. Um, so, Stephanie, why don't you say goodbye and let people know uh, where they can find you uh, or anything that you want to plug? Well, you can find me all over the place. On Facebook, you can follow El Crea Cosplay, which is where I post my cosplay and random other stuff if I feel like it. Um, I do have a vlog on YouTube that is El Crea Vision, um, mostly Sailor Moon stuff. One of these days I plan on putting other stuff up there too, but I really hate editing my videos, so I tend to fall behind on videos. Um, and then Twitter, I'm El Crea, and Instagram, Lady El Crea. I pretty much type in Alcrea, you'll probably find me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, most of my stuff is usually cosplay or Sailor Moon or lately me trying to convert everybody to go watch Babylon 5 because I feel so alone that Nathan and my dad and a co-worker are the only people I can talk to about Babylon 5. Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, Will, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you or if you have anything to plug. Good night, Internet. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, and I have nothing to plug. <laughs> Short and sweet. <laughs> I am plug-free. <laughs> I am plug-free for the week. So let's do another plug for Babylon 5. <laughs> right, so check out Babylon 5. Bruce Boxleitner, J. Michael Krasinski, you can't go wrong. Check it out. It's awesome. <laughs> and Will, I think, says that as somebody who has not watched Babylon 5. <laughs> I have not. Right. That's <laughs> Was that just a quick Google? <laughs> he probably knew that much. Was that just a what? A quick Google? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, no. Well, I've got a friend who's a big, pretty big fan of it, and so through him, you know, I know a little bit. You know, I know that Tron shows up in like season what two or three, <laughs> and you know, Straczynski was was behind it. But that's really about all I know about it. So he's not Tron. He's the president of the alliance. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Excuse me, Jack. Jack Sheridan. John but, Sh uh, but yeah, it's pretty much all I'm <laughs> Oh, God. There's some Vorlons and some Shadows and something and, and some Wars and some kind of other people and, and yeah. Okay. But, but, okay. 
some space stations blow up. Okay, so now I just have to say, because of the fact that you just referred to him as Sean, my friend, who is like the one person I've ever gotten to sit down and watch it, refers to him as the Scarecrow, because he was also in the Scarecrow and Mrs. King, so <laughs> there you go. Yes. So Sam, um, why don't you say goodbye and uh, let people know where they can find you and if you have anything to plug. Uh, goodbye, internet, or goodnight at least. You can always find me at darling underscore Sammy, S-A-M-M-Y on Twitter, uh, as well as The Maniacal Geek, which is my website where you can listen to the uh, That Girl with the Curls podcast, which Nathan has been a guest on several times. Again, since I don't know when this is airing, he could be featured on two more podcasts by the time this is out. So I encourage you to go and listen to those as well. And I guess, I don't know anything about Babylon 5, but I have a professor who was really into it. And she would argue your ear off on that one. So yay, I'm part of the group. (laughs) So there we go, Nathan. We've got her professor, my dad, a co-worker, you and me. Oh, Beth. (laughs) Beth. Beth has seen them all now. You're, you're just growing the fan base right there. I mean, you're building. You're building something. It's a grassroots effort. Well, thank you all for joining uh, me on this episode. It was a lot of fun. Yay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's it. It's another episode of the 42 cast over. We hope that you liked our retrospective on the Tim Burton Batman movies. To get back to something that I mentioned at the intro, uh, we are running a little bit of a contest right now. Uh, We have recorded quite a few topics uh, that we've banked up, and uh, we're trying to decide which one to put out as episode 8. So this episode is going to come out on Tuesday, March 28th. Uh, We'll have our decision made by Thursday. So if you want to go check that out, look at our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash 42 cast and you can see the post there about uh the contest and the five different episodes that we're looking at and uh just weigh in let us know what you want and of course you can leave us feedback there in general you can also leave us feedback on twitter which is at 42 cast uh you can also leave us feedback on our webpage, which is 42 cast.com you can also leave us feedback by emailing us at everything at 42 cast.com and of course you can also leave us reviews on stitcher radio and itunes uh we're trying really hard to meet the magic number on itunes which is six reviews uh as of the recording of this podcast we have three reviews so we'd really love for uh anyone who's listening to go in to put a review there uh and then that way uh the more reviews that we have the more likely itunes is to promote the show so if you want the show to continue uh please leave us a review uh that's definitely one of the ways that we can get more people on board spread the word uh and uh keep things going so uh with that um that uh is a wrap of course we'll be back next week with another fine episode although at this point that would what episode that is is to be determined and until then this is nathan signing off You've been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2017. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. Incidental music is provided with permission by fur DK.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.